fiddles and jelly spoons. Welcome, truth, love, and peace. I am joined today by Mr. Carson Taylor. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. And while we're doing that, yes, you can you can applaud me. Go right ahead. I'm kidding. You know, don't applaud. You don't applaud anything. So we'll fire up the Facebook Live. We'll start the YouTube. Blah 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 blah. Thanks for joining us, YouTube. This is Carson. Thanks for joining us, Facebook. All you folks. Uh, we are at the Blind Mule. Make this go up so you can see the Blind Mule logo because it's awesome. There it is, the Blind Mule logo. Yeah. Inside a Blind Mule logo. <laughs> so we are gathered here today to celebrate Prince. Not really. Um, we're gathered here today just to talk shit about whatever we feel like talking about and uh, how Alabama needs to catch up and pass legalized marijuana so we can medicate ourselves right now. Yeah. What the hell's up with that? Anyway, uh, I know you as a comedian, and um, for those listening and, and tuning in, uh, since most of my people know musicians, yeah. catch us up. You're, you're 24 years old. Yeah. You've been doing stand-up comedy for how long? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. And in three and a half years, how much different is it now than when you started? Uh, I actually feel like sometimes I know what I'm doing. When Occasionally? In was, <laughs> yeah, in the beginning it was just like, I'm going to try this, and then the crowd would be like, don't do that again. And you're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, don't do that again. Well, I'm, I'm going to put this over here so you can see it too. I'm not trying to be stingy. Just rearranging oh, stuff. This whole thing, if you haven't noticed, is real laid back. And the idea is uh, we just get to hang out and uh, read comments as they come up and oh, nice. all that good stuff. I do have to press that button occasionally, so I'm, I don't know. Sorry, you don't get to see it. I've changed my mind. Never mind. You don't need to keep up with that anyway. So I'm trying to remember what was going on in the comedy world three years ago. Who was, was big and on top? Uh, Louis was still pretty much owning it. Yep. Um, uh, I remember when I was like probably three weeks into comedy was when the Hannibal Burris Bill Cosby thing happened. Oh, really? That was like in the first, that was like October, November 2014. I started the beginning of October 2014. So that was the big news, like right when I started doing comedy. Everyone so, was like, Cosby's a rapist. For people that don't know that Hannibal Burris uh, had a role in that, uh, catch people up. That hmm. Just give, give them the synopsis on how he was involved. What I read is that uh, he was... Uh, he had already been doing the bit for like six months. Alfred said, sub dude, sub Alfred. <laughs> what up, Alfred? Uh, yeah, Hannibal Burris had already been doing the bit for like four or five months, he said. And yeah. then uh, just one night he was doing it at a club and a guy was filming him and then just posted it on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. And then it got, it just went viral all of a sudden yeah. out of nowhere. Ta-da. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh man, and then down comes a legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's disappointing when heroes live long enough to be disgraced. Yeah. But um, human beings are human beings. We're we're fascinating critters, but we're still stupid monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still stupid monkeys. So before you got into comedy, what um, 
What was the world of Carson Taylor like uh, at the ripe old age of 21? 21, I was playing guitar a lot. I've been playing guitar since I was 10, and I was taking care of my grandpa at the time. And I guess I was living, yeah, I was living with my grandpa at the time. This was, or maybe with my, yeah, I think I was living at my grandpa's house because I got an apartment later that year when I was 21. So, yeah, just playing a bunch of guitar at home. Buying, okay. What kind of guitar did you play? I had a Fender Stratocaster. Yeah? American-made, black. And then uh, I had a Vox AC30. And, um, like, 10 to 15 different pedals. And I sold, like, Man. 80% of that stuff to fund that comedy tour that me Zeke building. <laughs> so, I don't have my amp or anything anymore. I have one electric guitar left and like three pedals. So what kind of music do you play? Uh, well, I grew up, my dad was a huge deadhead. So I grew up listening to nothing but Grateful Dead and Fish. And he played a bunch of other stuff. He had a show on 92 Zoo when I was growing up called James oh. Plus. Oh, really? And then, yeah. So he did that for like probably seven years when I was a kid. And I would go to cool. 92 Zoo and watch him do his radio show at like 2 in the morning on a Saturday. That's great. And, uh, so I, all the music I was listening to then was just really a lot of stuff he was showing me. And then occasionally I'd be like, nah, man, Kanye West. So I was like nine. I was like, that's what all my friends are listening to. But my dad would be like, dude, James Brown, or get out. <laughs> all day long, yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, you'll have to let me introduce you to uh, to some people that I know, that if, if you enjoy sitting around oh, yeah. talking, picking, all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I know a few of those guys. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Uh, that's, that's very cool. I didn't know you had a musical background. And yeah. you mentioned the comedy tour that you and Zeke and who else went on? Bill Goodman. See, I am plotting and making plans to do something akin to this. So. Yeah, you should. So tell us, tell us how you pulled it off. What do we need to do? Oh man, we give us the game plan, the roadmap. Can't, we barely pulled it off. <laughs> I, <laughs> that counts, man. That counts I, all the way. I can't. We barely have a president. What are you talking about? <laughs> I am terrible at planning. Like Bill had his money saved up three mm -hmm. months because we booked everything like three to five months in advance. We had the whole tour booked ready to go, so we were just waiting. Mm -hmm. And then at the last minute, of course, certain shows fell through because they had to cancel because of this. And that. So instantly, like, a week before the tour starting, the whole schedule has been rearranged, and we're leaving in a week just because shit happens. So then uh, Bill had all of his money together. I think Zeke might have had his money together a couple weeks before, but, like, still three days before, I had zero money didn't pack anything to be on the road for like three weeks, which you don't need much, but still. Right. Kind of been pre-prepared. So then I was just sitting there like, nah, it'll all work out somehow. And then like 48 <laughs> hours before, I was like, I got to sell my guitar amp. <laughs> I have no money. Oh, so man. I sold that, and uh, that money didn't even last me through the whole tour. Man. The money I got for the amp. We left Austin, Texas with like four shows left on the tour and I had like eleven dollars in my pocket. <laughs> oh talk about starving artists. Yeah. I got man. my dad to send me a hundred dollars through Walmart. Hey whatever. man, everybody needs a patron. Yeah. Everybody needs a patron. That's great. So you guys were on the road for for almost exactly twenty one days. So I think and all of you made it back. Yeah. Woo! That's yeah. cause for celebration right there. Yeah. There's one night we almost didn't because Bill uh, 
did a 19-hour drive by himself. <laughs> well, he was the only one that drove from Austin to Knoxville. And uh, wow. he said, I remember like that next morning we woke up in Knoxville at our friend's house, and we were just hanging out. And uh, Bill was like, yeah, man, got to be honest with you. I almost crashed like four times. I was so sleepy. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Man. That's too funny. I I would love to try and, and replicate that. I don't know. Do you remember the two guys that came through in the camper? Um, there were a couple guys that were doing a little comedy tour together. And it was just the two of them. And they were doing a podcast. And they rented this little small camper and, and they were bouncing around that, that's a, that's a pretty good model I mean yeah. that's kind of what I'm looking to do is probably just pack up the van do the the national park tour and do some comedy shows in between yeah. something along those lines yeah um, now there's definitely smarter ways to do it than we did it well there's a variety <laughs> of ways to do anything and hindsight's 2020 yeah. but do you um, do you do you plot trips like that? Like, I love sitting around making plans and being like, if I were going to do that, how would I pull it off? Oh, I'm the worst yeah. at making plans. I just so what's go, the latest master I hope plan? I'll get a Netflix special one day, and then I just <laughs> am still sitting there on the couch, like, eating ice cream. <laughs> Man, so are you trying to say that you're pinky in this relationship between you and whoever the brain is? Um. Or? No, not necessarily. We're both... We both have our own things where it's like, how do you not get that? That's how I feel. And then she's like, you don't realize we have to pay this? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know about insurance. <laughs> oh, that's like, in, that's crossing into real world stuff. I, thought, I, I was oh, still oh, thinking about, about the dream about, world. Like the, okay. Yeah, yeah like in the that. making plans, the hypothetical. Oh, yes. If we're talking about plans that are probably really serious, like what house are we going to get after this house? She's definitely the brain. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know, man. This you house, tell me. This house is pretty good. That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, awesome. Yeah, why change? Why change? I don't know. <laughs> I, I enjoyed doing that for a while, though. I loved camping. I used to go camping uh, a good bit and, and traveling around and staying in state parks. Yeah. And I haven't been on a road trip in a long time. And so the idea of going on a road trip, staying in a bunch of state parks, and just cruising down the road for a couple of weeks yeah, sounds real fun to me. <laughs> like, I, I mean, think it would be awesome. I'll say this. I was so exhausted when I got back that no matter how much slept, like sleep I got, even 10 days, I was like, I still lack of nutrition I only ate Lunchables like it kicked kicked the shit out of me when I got back home I went into like a 16 hour coma just because my body was like dude you should have not done everything that you did when you were out there and and they would always try to get sleep and I'd be like nah man we're on the road let's have fun so I would I would go to sleep at 5 a.m. and then we'd wake up at 8 to drive to the next town. So I'd be on like three hours of sleep every day like an idiot. Like, yeah, it got too much towards the end. That's hardcore as you could possibly make it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I, I like road trips, but I can definitely empathize with it not being comfy in a car and well-rested. And it takes a lot out of you just to be in a car. Not yeah. a lot of people realize that, but I it takes a lot of effort. That. Yeah, because it's a highly stressful situation. 
There's some part yeah. of your brain that knows how tenuous your existence is at 65 miles an hour. Yeah, I guess that's true. That is true. <laughs> and it constantly reminds with every you. blinker turn and yeah. little noise that's a honk you hear. You're like, yeah. Ah. Like, yeah. On some level, you know how flimsy it all is. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people just don't process that well. But I think that's where road rage comes from, is people get freaking crazy because they're already on pins and needles yeah and so anxieties. it takes it takes nothing yeah. and then pow, over the top especially if you live in LA like just living in a big big city what's the biggest city you've ever lived in uh, Mobile Mobile yeah oh, well, that's, well I don't know if, if, is Montgomery bigger than Mobile uh, I think maybe I'm yeah. not sure Montgomery though one or, one or the other that's a pretty big city yeah. uh, it's You've got interstates running through it, and I grew up in Mobile, so so I remember that it's not like Demopolis, where my family's from, like yeah. dirt roads and a couple of red lights. Yeah, it's uh, it's the big town for a lot of people, and I think when you pack that many people together, they get we get crazy, man, like monkeys in a zoo. Yeah, it gets it gets real weird, yeah. real weird. So, did you grow up here in Mobile or in Montgomery? I grew up, well, I was born in Columbia, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I guess I only lived there for a couple months as a baby, and then I believe we moved to Montgomery. And I was in Montgomery. I get out of this all wrong. If my parents hear, they'd be like, no, it went this way. <laughs> in my childish memory. That's the only perspective yeah, that yeah. matters today. Uh, it felt like it went Columbia, Tennessee, then Montgomery, till I was about like three, and then Mobile. So, nice. I've been in Mobile since pretty much preschool, it feels like. I went from Mobile to Cincinnati, which oh, was kind wow. of weird. Oh, wow. That's weird, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting change in the middle of high school. But growing up here in Mobile was an interesting thing. I can remember. It was, it's no different than anywhere else. High school's high school. Parking lots and bad decisions and women. <laughs> yeah. And then some some variant of band, sports, or combination thereof. Yeah. Like, there are only so many things you can do. Were you being human at the time? Everybody gets it. Yeah. <laughs> it's only it's so true. much you can do. Most of the crazy stuff that happens in high school, I realize, is uh, in the parking lot during football games. Know, that's right? like That's like all, that's where the high school, their version of going to a club is like the Waffle House parking lot at midnight <laughs> after the Murphy McGill game. <laughs> oh man. Well, and it's the whole while the sheep are distracted. That's when the fun stuff happens. Yeah. You got to get away from all the smoke and mirrors, pomp and circumstance. My uh, my grandfather used to call it the dog and pony show. Like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the dog and pony show. Yeah. It's just never. There's no meaning to it. Or there's there's nothing heartfelt about it. It's all fake and shroddy. Kind of like, what are we really doing here? Like, I think I think if the Pope is gonna get away with wearing a hat, that that's, that is that ridiculous. He needs to share whatever drugs the rest of the clergy's doing. That makes <laughs> that okay. <laughs> you know, people joke about that all the time, but there's a lot of. I don't know if you study a lot of history or not. Do you study a lot of history? What do you What are you into? Um, before I go off on some tangent, that oh you don't care god, about? man, I am. I get. I go through a lot of phases where I'm into this. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, I was a kid that was like every three months. I was like, I, mean, I want to be Spider-Man. Now I saw a beautiful <laughs> mind when I was like eight. I was yeah. Like, I want to be, be a crazy math. 
John Nash, <laughs> yeah, I wanted, cryptographer. I wanted to be like that. And then like Cold the picker. next one was like, no, I want to be Michael Jordan. It's like just always something different. <laughs> so like right now I'm just, uh, the things that really get me going are um, music, music, movie, comedy, history. Mm-hmm. I delve deep and stuff like that, do a lot of research. And uh, I like the the tunnel the internet can take you as far yes. as... Like, I just started getting into the Dead Kennedys, so right now when I'm at home, I'm just reading a bunch of stuff about the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> so, What is the Dead Kennedys? I mean, I know, the, the I know Dead Kennedys, bands. but yeah. the punk band the Dead Kennedys. Mm-hmm. See, that's how little I know about punk music. Yeah. Yeah, the internet's an amazing place. There are all kinds of rabbit holes. But I remember before I really met you, people had... I guess your reputation for being well informed in the podcast world uh, oh. preceded you. And, yeah. and they told me that because I uh, mentioned that I watch podcasts and they're like, Carson has seen every podcast. Yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with uh, <laughs> me and Ryan Jett were talking about that. Sometimes Ryan has to call me down. He was like, what do you think? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, because I am. I was like, well, Pete Holmes said, and one time Joe Rogan said, and then this guy said, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, Oh, you're right. I listened to so many. I forgot what I think for a second there. Like, so yeah, I watch tons of podcasts. I'll stay up till five a.m. just watching, listening to a bunch of weird podcasts and yeah. episodes, and then you know, mainly because I like getting uh, advice through it. Well, share like, if other the, people like advice too. Well, who do you like? What do you- uh, I love right now. Joe mm-hmm. Rogan's my guy. Um, mm-hmm. Before I got into Joe Rogan, my favorite show ever was Opie and Anthony. Yeah. I like, was obsessed with that show. Patrice O'Neill and Jim Martin and all of them were like the greatest things ever to me. Um, but I don't know, like the advice that, uh, that I like that I get is just, uh, that's an example. And then once you start, op- once, they, once they say something that opens your head, you start realizing your own things. Like you see someone on stage and then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell them, like, hey, don't. Don't just because that joke didn't go well. Don't apologize. Like you didn't offend anybody. It's just that <laughs> joke bomb. So you don't have to apologize for that. Like little things you start figuring out on your own because yeah. you can just you feel how energies turn. You ever have that? Yeah. When I watch comedy, I can tell just by where someone added the comma how now everything feels like it moved this way or this way in your body. Yeah. And I can just tell like oh if they were trying to get to this part they should have cut that. This is little things that you just start picking up on. So you see it as a roadmap. Um, yeah, I guess so. On just how to get to do exactly what you want to do. Like, I'm trying to visualize the way that it looks in your head and the mm. way that you said you cut a little here. I have the vision of you driving like this NES old school <laughs> arcade car being like, no, man, you should have taken that left a lot sooner or else you wouldn't have ended up in the guardrail. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of comedians do this, but like analogies. Uh-huh. Sometimes when I'm ex- when like say I noticed Ryan Adams or Bill did something on stage, and mm-hmm. then I like I was like, oh man, I thought of something for that. Or if you pause here and I give it to him, the analogy that turns is always something. They're like, what? Because I'm always like, it's like a look a polar bear. <laughs> He's trudging around, and then like, but it's like, <laughs> but it just has to do with them taking the word and out or something like that. Like, yeah, and sometimes great. I get I get all in my head and very anxious and like I have so much to say. I do the same thing. My mom tells me uh, that I am am all too eager to explain how to make a watch when someone asks me what time it is. Yeah, I'm notorious for that. 
because uh, I love the minutia. One of my least favorite sayings, and it's one of the reasons I like hearing you talk about evaluating comedy and understanding it in such such detail. Yeah, is um, that I obsess about those details. Like it fascinates me, rolling yeah. them around and being able to, to play with them and interchange them and just notice them. There's so many people that just don't even notice stuff like that, and they miss that little picture. And uh, you know, devil's in the details. And I think that's where a lot of the the timing comes from. You know, the one of the things that surprises me about comedy, from when I got into it, is how rehearsed everything is yeah and how spontaneous it appears and so yeah I never fully understood the performance aspect of stand-up comedy until I did it personally yeah but now looking back on it uh, it, it blows my mind because you talk just hearing you talk about what I would term as the economy of words and cutting the fat and all that good mm-hmm. stuff and would add all this other terminology to yeah. you have your own terminology for it. and so yeah, I love yeah. picking people's brain and figuring out what that what that terminology looks like and, and how it how that looks in your head mm-hmm. that's an example of how it kind of looks in my head in that it's interesting to me that it's more of a performance yeah. than than I thought it was yeah so how much I guess if I had to frame that as a question I would say how much of of the way you perceive other people's comedy has to do with your process? Um, not always, because certain guys that really make me laugh, I can't mm-hmm. figure out. Like mm-hmm. Thomas Finley. Yeah. I am such a fan, and I can't. It's hard. The only advice I can give to him sometimes is try to do that again somehow, because <laughs> I can't break it down. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, I don't try to th- constantly throw my process on everybody. Like, my, this is the way it should be done. Sometimes mm-hmm. I can. Uh, but um, I think whatever works for you my little thing is just if I see somebody on stage mm-hmm. and I just felt like oh that was the turn it should have took yeah. if I tell them and then they try it and it does work out then I'm like I was right <laughs> I didn't make an enemy on that one <laughs> yeah that's you would hate to do that but yeah. oh, I've seen Bill bomb with me I was like oh what if you like did it this way and he was like oh I might try that and then I was like I'm so sorry Bill (laughs) (laughs) I did not mean for that to end that way (laughs) goodness gracious I can't imagine I still can't get over that it's Mardi Gras it kind of blows me away it distracts me every few minutes it's Mardi Gras here in Mobile right outside the window I remember as a child how wonderful that was because it was a holiday from school and now that I'm an adult it's kind of like meh I don't, I don't, I never liked Mardi Gras. No? I mean, I did, I guess, my, maybe I'm just speaking from, like, my age now, mm-hmm. but, like, looking back on it, uh, I just remember it's, like, those swirl of drunk faces and homeless people peeing outside and just purple and gold streaming by and some dude like, hey, Todd, why are you fucking walking away? And you're, like, four, like, oh, my God, holding your dad's hand. Like, it's kind of terrifying for children <laughs> a little bit. So sometimes I think about those memories, and I'm like, hmm, maybe that's why I haven't been to Montego like, four yeah. years, because I'm like, that's too much to be around. It could all, it well, could all turn into a riot at any moment. That's what I think about. You always. do have to wonder why... Every other part of the country hasn't replicated it. If yeah. it's such a good idea. Yeah. I mean, New Orleans, but 
that's kind of their shtick <laughs> is drunken debauchery it's so they couldn't be outdone to me <laughs> that it's like uh, get drunk right so get drunk and now your motor skills are gone and now let's throw shit at your face <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly the point. Because the really bad pitchers weren't able to hit anybody, and so they needed an advantage. And they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell them it's a party. We're going to get them drunk. We're just going to beat them. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. I've known people in Mardi Gras parades and Mardi Gras crews. It, secret societies fascinate me, though. Do you, do you ponder philosophy very oh, much? Well... I'm not the most book smart person. No, in the neither, world. neither am I. Somebody <laughs> asked me yesterday if I would be interested. Uh, Jimmy uh, asked me if I would be interested in being in this book club and, and talking about these these more philosophical things and uh, you know, educational stuff. And and I said, yeah, I'll be the guy that that can talk about all the topics you bring up without ever reading the books because yeah. I'm dyslexic. I can't read shit. Yeah, it's 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 more effort for me to sit down and read something than it's worth. Yeah, like as as a young man, I came up with a shortcut to figure shit out. Like, I had to come up with a workaround in my own head so that I didn't have to read all this stuff. So, I came up with my own little system, specifically because I can't read shit. <laughs> like, it doesn't work for me. So, I would be the antithesis of let's go read something and figure some shit out. Which leads to really bad drugs. Yeah. Ritalin was a horrible thing. But my attention span was, was awful. Yeah, I am obsessed with uh, secret societies. I've constantly been obsessed with... Uh, I, my brain has always worked for you. tell me something, if I see that everyone's like, yeah, that sounds about right, I'm like, mm-mm. And I have to, I have to find something that, that seems wrong with the fact that everyone thinks this is okay. I'm yeah. like, nothing's that pure. If everyone's like, this must be good, I'm like, this must be bad. <laughs> That's how I think about bad. it sometimes. It must be bad. <laughs> Uh, I used to let it drive me crazy, though. When I was 18 and I first got into it... Say that one more time. You used to let it drive you crazy? Yes. I used to let it drive me crazy because when I was 18, uh, I started smoking that synthetic marijuana. Oh, yeah. I got really bad off on that stuff. And at the same time I discovered that, I discovered Alex Jones. Ooh, it's the worst. Yeah, the, both of those things happening in an 18-year-old's brain who's only sitting next to his grandpa for 12 hours a day. I had too much time mm. on my hand, and I drove myself crazy there for like six months on how everything's connected, and it's all trying to give you cancer. Like That was like my <laughs> mindset then. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's horrible, but it's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It's funny to look back on, but I remember it being like, Everything had a greenish gray hue to it. Like that just felt like my world. Then <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't even imagine having if I had been eighteen. I didn't get into any of that stuff until later on. But I enjoy secret societies from a couple of different perspectives. Historically, for one, and uh, groupthink for the other. Like the herd mentality. Mm -hmm. This whole we have to have to have a secret. Like, I could see it if you're protecting some valuable knowledge of humanity that you're trying to pass on and save. Yeah. Sure, that's cool. Uh, do we still need that? Mm -hmm. oh. But, uh, the whole club thing. Like, I'm not a big fan of the club thing. I don't know if that's my anti-authority streak or not, but... 
I like burning that clubhouse down on a regular basis. Like yeah. whatever it is, just let's fucking torch that shit. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, my grandpa was an archivist. He founded the Mobile Archives. Holy and, shit! And I was around him for like that whole amount of time, especially mm-hmm. those last five years. And then I kind of got uh, got that bug of like I like going and seeing old things and like knowing that this thing from five hundred years ago still is right here. I don't. I just look at it as this thing and I see the history of it, but I still go, how crazy was it that? Hundreds of thousands of people murdered each other because of this thing we're looking at. I, is I'm obsessed with it. I want to be able to see it and still understand why. Like, how are people so insane? Like, I'm looking at the same thing. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It. It really is fascinating to to think of the different contexts that people came from. Like, just what we know of modern history, and you know, the difference between. A thousand years ago and three thousand years ago, like those people were building pyramids, yeah, like obelisks, yeah. That's a whole. But they were every bit as savvy as us. They were supposed to be fully modern humans, so they weren't dumb. And yet, still the Mayan temples and the pyramids, man. Like you look back at that and you're like, how did they know as much as they knew? When it doesn't seem like it was ever that, because there's, yeah. there's, there's always make it look easy. And how did they move all that shit? I think it, it was blows sound. my mind. I think it was sound. I delve into this all the time, and I think they had figured out how to manipulate vibration and you know low level frequencies to where they could manipulate this stuff really easily. There had See? to be there had to be some way that it was easy for them, because you you don't. You just don't go do the hardest thing you can find to do because it's fun in an age when you're dying because a short-faced bear decided yeah. he wants to come eat your lunch. Yeah. Like, There's a, a Grateful Dead documentary uh, that played in Egypt, 1978, and it was uh, in front of the pyramids with like a bunch of locals on drums, and uh, it was during an eclipse. Holy like shit! huge... So it's a there's a DVD of it. You might be able to, you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure. Uh, Definitely looking that up. The documentary part of it. They have the whole concert, and then there's a whole documentary side of it where it just shows them going through Egypt and going to the top of the pyramids and doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And Bill Kreitzman, one of the drummers, was like, "The real reason why we're here is because we know that there's a vibration you can hit that can make these." Uh, pyramids crumble and we want to hit that vibration and hold it so when it starts crumbling we can unveil the UFO that's actually it's he was going on this rant I don't know if he was just trying to be funny but it's like that was the first time I ever heard like oh vibrations crumbling rocks but that was there you go yeah well for some reason it's hard for people to get access to that information but the more and more you look around the, the more and more it's realized that People have known this stuff for a really long time. Uh, that that the pyramids and places like that generate these electromagnetic fields, and yeah. they're more sensitive to electromagnetic fields than, than other places. You know, we've known about ley lines for a really long time, and so the fact that people are so surprised or know so little about it is is really weird. It's kind of off-putting, even that there's so much history that people are just not aware of. 
Do you think that uh, the magnetic fields and the energy from the environment and stuff called people to that place? Or do you think that the people that just happened to be there were just lucky and, and became advanced because of their surroundings and then they built knowledge and no, they knew where they were going. Mushroom, you think? Yeah, yeah, they knew where they were going. They knew where they were going because they had been there before. So the the people who settled in Egypt weren't they didn't just show up and go, Yeah, we're definitely gonna stay here. Yeah. Right now it looks like there were probably these multiple migrations out of Africa. And then these migrations through Europe and different patterns that led to this interbreeding of these different versions of Homo sapiens. Yeah. This is my version of the story anyway. And so by the time the pyramids were built, you probably have hundreds of generations gone by where these civilizations, these cultures are coming back and building these sustainable places. And the, the evidence for that is that the layers of the pyramid constructions, the, the temple of uh, the Sphinx temple, the Osirion, and several other structures on the Giza Plateau, including, including the platform that the Great Pyramid of Giza is built on, are way older than the pyramids themselves. And uh, John Anthony West, who since we're talking about Egypt, we have to, to shout out to, uh, we lost a great. Uh, John Anthony West was the first guy to really get into the symbolic Egypt and, yeah. um, and bring it to, to the world. And Magical Egypt is the series that he was a part of. Joe Rogan talks about it all the time. He, John Anthony West was actually on, on the podcast. No, I. I yeah. haven't watched that episode. Yeah, if you like Egypt, you should get into it because he talks way more in depth about all this. But the possibility that the, the Egyptians were probably a people out of southern Africa. There were probably uh, more Ethiopian, Nigerian at one point in time. And there's all kinds of history that goes back way before 10,000 B.C. that we're just now learning about. And so people like Graham Hancock and, and those guys, you know, Randall Carlson, that are doing the research to figure out all this stuff that went on beforehand, yeah. they're basically just reinterpreting all the stories that people have said, no, we told you this is what happened. And now we're just starting to figure out, well, yeah, of course that's what happened. Yeah. Like, now people are starting to buy it. You ever heard the theory um, that uh, there's other things, like other pyramids maybe built under mm. the pyramids and like Yeah, that they were built in time. phases. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's probably true. Um, like I was saying, the, the platform that the Pyramid of Giza is built on probably was there before the pyramid was there. And one of the theories that I like is the Nikola Tesla rediscovered, kind of rediscovered the idea that water moving through porous material generates electricity. Mm -hmm. The same way that if we put an LED in between, split a stream of water and put an LED light in there, it'll light up. Just, it's a natural occurrence, natural energy. And so when these underground aquifers would fill up from the flooding of the Nile on this regular basis, they would create all this energy through this vast limestone caverns. And so the one of the reasons that people gathered in those places is because that's where those energies were the strongest. They have these, if you look at the pyramids that generate electromagnetic fields, one of the things they have in common is an underground naturally occurring aquifer system, which have often been expanded upon and, and dug out and extended, uh, but they all have some sort of natural means of conducting 
are generating energy. And they always start with the lowest levels. So in the Great Pyramid of Giza, the oldest, the oldest constructions or the oldest parts are the subterranean parts, which just like Tesla when he built his free energy tower, those are the essential parts because that's where the beginnings, you know, that's where the water comes up, that's where the water goes down, yeah. so that's where all the energy is focused. And then everything on top of that, the layers on top of that are just a refining process of concentrating that energy. That's kind of my, that's my understanding of it. That's what I've cobbled yeah. together. And I could go through a long list of all the research that goes into that. But John Anthony West is right up there at the top. I just like to think you yeah. go up on the top of that pyramid and you just have a gong made out of electricity and yeah. smack it and just watch the whole world crumble <laughs> right up beneath you. So here's how close to completely accurate that is. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1800s, this guy named Siemens, who there's a whole company named after, Siemens, Siemens Electricity. Uh, he was on an expedition and they were exploring Egypt and he was on top of the Great Pyramid of Giza and he noticed that, so the story goes, that every time his guide would open his fingers, he could hear a ringing. And because he was a student of electricity, mm -hmm. he was aware of what was going on. And so he took a wine jar and a copper tube, type copper pipe, and built a Leyden jar, which is just designed to collect electricity. Mm -hmm. So he's holding this Leyden jar and collecting this energy that he's observed is, is already there. Well, this Leyden jar collects enough le electricity in a short enough time period that the gods, the Egyptian gods that he's with, start freaking out because it's sparking. And they start accusing him of being a witch and all kinds of crazy black magic bullshit. One of the guys tries to knock it out of his hand. And so the guy reaches for this thing. It's a charged Leyden jar that all he's done is been on top of the, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Guy grabs this Leyden jar and it discharges into him. It goes flying across the top of the pyramid. He's terrified. He and his cohort run, screaming, down the pyramid. And Simmons is just standing there marveling at this revelation that there's this massive amount of electromagnetic energy that can be harnessed so easily just by putting a Leyden jar on top of it. So somehow they figured out either that was occurring naturally there or the pyramid is amplifying that somehow. Yeah. Which there's a lot of research going into the the Bosnian pyramid that's showing the same thing. Yeah, which, my girlfriend's Croatian. Her mom's Bosnian. Oh, yeah. So you, you know about these they, things. Yeah, they're obsessed with Tesla. And uh, see, my girlfriend was just talking about that pyramid that they found just the yeah. other day. Yeah. What does she know about it? Do tell. Oh, well, we haven't really. She was just telling me they found a pyramid in Bosnia. We didn't get into a whole thing about it. But, uh, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've heard that that happened yeah. recently. Quite possibly the largest and oldest pyramid. That's awesome. Yeah, and one of the things that the Bosnian Pyramid demonstrates really well, without ruining all of it for you, um, is these ever-increasingly smaller uh, tunnels, which act like a pipe organ. And so the smaller the tube, the higher the frequency. Yeah. That's significant because we've found, there was a guy named uh, Floyd, I think was his name. His last name was Floyd. And he discovered that if you take a high enough frequency, 300,000 kilohertz, way higher than we can perceive, and, um, and point it at different viruses and cancer cells, they, they would lose their structural integrity. They, they disintegrate, basically. So through this version of ultrasound, 
you could cure people of cancer for the most part. Jesus. And all kinds of other things. Yeah, right. Jesus, fuck, holy hell, Jesus. So the Bosnian Pyramid shows us that these tunnels gradually decreasing are a near perfect replica for what's going on in our lungs, which then brings all kind of credence to these Eastern philosophies, you know, yogic practices where everything's centered around the breath. And the breath is centered around this concept of the original vibration. Yeah. And so you get this big loop that comes all the way back around to electromagnetic energy and Simmons and, and the Bosnian pyramids. Fucking really fascinating. You should look into it more. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. I say that's like all the all this knowledge we have of Tesla and the documentaries that are out there and mm -hmm. stuff. Still, how you still have to be like, how the hell did that guy know? He, he just knew how stuff. to do that. How do you think he knew how to do that? I. <sighs> My conspiracy is that it's something happening from up there, or something, maybe his ancestry is directly connected to the people that were surrounded or helped create that pyramid. He's a blue blood. Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't know, but there's something bigger going on. I feel the same way about Kubrick. I'm like, there's no way, man. Those movies are too good. <laughs> oh, man. There's no way that even the best directors ever go, yeah, there's us and then there's him. Why well, is he so ahead of the game? Well, it's because he filmed the moon landing. Yeah, I guess you do get a lot of help when <laughs> you do that. <laughs> I fucking love Kubrick, man. That's great. Kubrick is. Oh man, that's a whole other thing. What did you think of Eyes Wide Shut? Eyes Wide Shut. Oh god, made me sweat. Sweaty. I believed all of it. The line that blew my mind more than any line in the movie that really scared me was when, uh, uh, spoiler alert. Tom Cruise realizes... It was the 90s. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> that upsets you. Fuck off. <laughs> Tom Cruise realizes uh, who's the guy that's his friend that directed Tootsie? Uh, Sidney Pollack. Yeah, okay. Tom Cruise realizes that Sidney Pollack... Uh, or Sidney Pollack tells him, I saw you at that party, the one where Tom Cruise and all of them wearing the mask. Right. And then he's like, why were you there? And all this stuff. And he was like... You, you shouldn't ever go back there. You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have seen that. And then he was like, who, what, what was that? He, Tom Cruise kept asking him. And then Sidney Pollack said, if I would have told you the names of those people behind those masks, you wouldn't have slept well at night. I was like, dude, it's Oprah. <laughs> the Clintons, like, There's popular people behind those masks. I... That's one of the things I love about Kubrick is because that metaphor applies to like the the Oak Grove or what do they call it the yeah the Grove Society out there in yeah. California. Have you seen that footage? Oh yeah, those are some crazy bastards. There's a movie and it's one of my favorite movies of all time from the '50s where they reenact exactly that footage with the big owl edifice and it's just the guy on stuff. the raft and he's saying all of the you, ever, you heard of the movie Picnic. No, uh -uh. It's William Holden and Kim Novak. It's just a love movie from 1955. But it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I was obsessed with it. My grandpa broke his hip in 2012, and he wanted to watch Turner Classic Movies, so I put all it right. on. And this movie came on, and I was just like, what is that? Ordered <laughs> it on eBay. There is a scene where it is exactly that Oak Grove footage. I mean, it is the same thing that they just secretly put in this movie, Picnic, where in this small town... Uh, they have a Halloween festival where they pick the queen, but they call it uh, Niwala. Niwala, yeah. Halloween backwards. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So that's the name of their like event. And when they, when they do the announcing who's the princess of the town, it's not a scary movie at all. It's just a love story. 
this scene should be freakier than it is because they come out on the raft and it's all these people with like the bone faces and all the stuff and lights on a raft and they're all like Nihawala Nihawala and I was like dude that is what it's all about right there they're just showing you it they were reenacting Finding Nemo before it ever came around <laughs> that's gonna drive me nuts that I can't remember the name of the, the grove the shady grove but didn't Alex Jones do a thing where he broke in there? Like, isn't that how mm-hmm. one of the ways he kind of got a name for himself? They yeah. went and did some reporting. Like late 90s, I think. Early 2000s. I want to say Jimmy Buffett's involved in that whole thing. Probably. But I'm, I think that's the celebrity version of, like, the Bilderbergers. Yeah. I think the Bilderbergers are probably a little more involved oh, yeah. in setting some They're rules. inside of the Bosnian pyramid. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are the people that have the secret base on the South Pole. Yeah. Are you familiar with that one? No. Oh, man. So, I know Bilderberg. I didn't know about the South Pole. Yeah, okay, so the South Pole, there's been a couple of things in a couple of different centuries. At one point, it was the hollow earth theory, and you could go to the, to the North Pole, and you go into the center of the earth. Um, journey to the center of the earth was novel, blah, blah, blah. The Nazis jumped to <laughs> the Nazis in Grand Retreat were supposed to have this base in Antarctica, in the South Pole. And so after World War II, they enlisted one of these generals to take a battalion, like a fleet, boats and weapons and tanks and planes and all kinds of shit, to the South Pole to find out what the fuck's going on. It's called Project High Jump. Um, there's some speculation as to whether or not it was really an excuse for them to sneak off to the North Pole and find out if there was an entrance to the Hollow Earth or not. But either way, within a matter of weeks, they came back defeated. Not like run off, hey, that's not a good idea, like defeated. And said some things like you should be really terrified of what could come out of the poles and all this good stuff. Jump two. Uh, the new version is on election day, Carrie and a bunch of people went down and were in the South Pole instead of in D.C. on election day. This was this past year. And also, uh, Buzz Aldrin was down there with a bunch of people. And there it's him and a few other people wearing these shirts like, Get Your Butt to Mars, which is a total recall reference. Mm-hmm. And also... He comes back with this severe decompression sickness or something that you can only get from a few different decompression circumstances. And one of the theories that goes along with that is that they were testing this to the moon faster than, than sound technology and he got sick because of altitude sickness or acceleration sickness or some shit. But it's fascinating that there are a bunch of people just going down to the South Pole and hanging out for really high profile people for what seems like vacation. It's kind of fascinating. But it's also the potential home for the reptilians. Yeah. That's some crazy shit. Have you heard about how the Pizza Gate was really the reptiles? No. Oh man, it's just like conspiracy theories all over. The <laughs> they get deep. <laughs> they get deep and crazy. Yeah, the reptiles were responsible for the pedophilia in Washington, D.C., and it gets ridiculous after that. But there are all kinds of crazy stories. 
What do you think of the aliens? Aliens, I believe it. Yeah. I don't know the whole history behind it, but I do feel like somehow uh, um, the intelligence that we got through millions of years ago to create fire or discover it and all these things had to have come from some interaction with another life form. So like Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, I guess. I haven't seen that. But I haven't seen it. I know everyone says. I know. How could you not? I know. Yeah. It's on my list. So, I don't know. We can keep talking about philosophy, but I really want to pick a brain about comedy more. Oh, okay, that's fine. Unless you want to talk, do you do you feel like which would you prefer me to, to grill you about? Doesn't matter. We can talk about comedy. <laughs> well, I want to get back to how do we take a group of people on the road? I want um, to go. I want to go on tour. I want to make some money. Yeah. I, want. I can't help you with making money because we didn't make shit. <laughs> if you find the way, you that's all you, man. I, I'll get that advice from you, Lynn. <laughs> well, I want to come up with a way to put out an album or a DVD or something. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't try to rush into CD and DVD stuff, uh, even though I know I could sell it and it could help out. I, I want... Uh, I've been up constantly wanting to make sure that it's down like I don't, mm-hmm. I've been doing it three and a half years and I really only have like a somewhat polished 30 to 45 minutes so I'm not even have an hour yet and then so like I'm, I'm not I don't want to rush I don't want to go ahead and release a thing that's only 20 minutes mm-hmm. when I'm still going to need that 20 minutes to build an hour I'm going to be doing maybe in five years you get what I'm saying so I don't want to rush it I see, I see. I have never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, but I wonder about putting content out and and what's the best way to go about that. Because on one hand, I'd love to document the whole process. Yeah. But on the other hand, how many times are people willing to listen to the same joke? Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on that? How, how has it gone when or if you have ever tossed material out there before? Um, For like the Facebook webs and stuff. Like just... Oh, I don't know. If I post a joke on Facebook, I mean, I'll get like seven likes, and then I'm like, no, oh, maybe. But I don't usually, I don't usually do that that often. I'm very bad at the riding the new wave of technology to promote yourself because I disagree with a lot of things in it, and I just want to live and die by the stage. But that means I'm gonna die by the stage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm trying to figure out that balance for myself on how I could get on board with everything. Uh, and promote myself more through social media without being so much like, nah, I don't, uh, you know what I mean? It's just my own head holding me back most of the time. Well, I wonder if the future of survival in the arts, it has anything to do with getting paid for art itself. Yeah. Or if it's all about getting paid for merchandise. Do, What are your thoughts on, on the art being free and the experience being what's paid for um i don't know i uh i'm more a fan of if i work hard on the art thing and i keep reasonable and say this is saying you make it mm-hmm. you're calling ticket prices and actually booking everything most of the places you go to when you do your first couple of tours they're just saying like yeah it's gonna be a five dollar show you're gonna be like well, can we make it ten you know what i mean it's like you're not gonna get that many people because no one knows you to pay ten you know right but 
they, um, I'm more willing to pay, I'd like to pay, I'll pay to see Black Sabbath, because I was going use Black Sabbath there, I'll pay to see Black Sabbath, but I don't want to see, uh, one of their songs in a BMW commercial, you know what I mean? I don't like things getting paid for in that way, I'm like, if it's just the art, I'll pay for it, when it turns yeah. into some of the merch stuff, some people might like merch stuff, I'm kind of not... I don't need everyone's t-shirt or autograph anymore. I'm like, I got that experience, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but that's my view. I don't know. I always think, no matter what I think, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> so well, I don't know about all that. But, like I said, I know a lot of musicians, and so I wonder what it would take. I wonder what it would take to... I wonder constantly what it's going to take to survive... Uh, and to pay the bills doing stand-up comedy. And so I look to guys uh, like Stephen Hofstetter, who uh, you know has like six albums to his credit and has built a big following on YouTube and yeah. goes out and tours 150 dates in a row and world tours and has built that up and has built a model that I think is repeatable, that I've seen a lot of musicians repeat, which is if you're getting out there and you're covering all the bases... That it can be done. Yeah. But but I'm still trying to figure out if that's doable in, in comedy. And have you ever put any thought into... Oh, it's getting close to sign-up time. I'm thinking about that. I was yeah. like, I hope... You want me to run and sign us up real quick? I'll come run and jump back? No, that's all right. We'll shut it down here in a second. But sure. closing thoughts. Do you... Um, if you if you could go and, and put a plan together mm-hmm. to, to go on tour... Would it be with me next weekend? <laughs> I'm kidding. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you were I was like, hold on, dude. Let me look at my work schedule because I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to be on stage. It's a little soon, though. It's going to be sweaty. <laughs> oh, too funny. But if you... I guess... I don't know. I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out more ways to mastermind getting out there and making it happen. And if you had to yeah. to try and come up with a game plan on that, no, if you don't my, go the merchandise route, see that's what I'm saying. It's that's where it's hard it for is. me. My um, my biggest influence in comedy is uh, Patrice O'Neill. Mm-hmm. I love Patrice, and he did exactly. He his views are already my views on it. So when I discovered him, it was just like you know when you're like, oh my god, like when you discovered Terrence McKenna or something. Like Patrice O'Neill is the Terrence McKenna of comedy to me for some reason. Yeah. So uh, like I don't know, like he lived and died by going, no, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't feel honest. He died with no money, and he wasn't as big as he could have been. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he could have reached so much more people, but didn't because he wouldn't play the game a little bit. And so sometimes, like, somebody says, I don't know, if, if I feel like something's not honest, I can't. It's really hard for me to do it anyway, even if I know I'll benefit by being dishonest. It really upsets me. Well, we're going to leave part one there. Thank you for joining okay. me, Carson. This has Thank been a you. pleasure. And uh, hell yeah, man. Facebook, thanks for joining us. Alvita Zane. And close by YouTube. And for those of you in podcast world, thanks for joining us. 
promise to come back soon, Carson. Yeah, definitely. That was fun. Sweet. Until next time, truth, love, and peace.